Philippians chapter 1. Go ahead and turn, grab your Bible. If you don't have a Bible, there's some in the seats just in front of you. If you don't have it with you, grab one of those. If you don't have a Bible, take one of those home with you. It's our gift to you. Let me tell you where we've been and where we're going. We've been in the book of Philippians. We started with a broad scope look at the book. We looked at uh, some preliminary things for a couple weeks. We talked about who the people were, where they were, how the church got started, how Paul was involved with them. We talked about some, some big picture things. And then you remember we started to narrow the focus a little bit, but not too narrow. We took one chapter at a time. We did chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, and chapter 4, four different weeks. We looked at these chapters individually, sort of as a whole, and we tried to find Christ as the theme throughout them, okay? Now we are done with that. We're coming back, and we're going to narrow even a little more. And we're doing this partially as uh, not only to teach you the book of Philippians, but to help you to understand how you are to examine the Scriptures yourself, give you a little bit of a guideline or a guidepost as you try and track through Scripture, as you try and... Uh, maybe grab Philippians or Colossians or one of, other, one of Paul's other letters or any book of the Bible, any letter of Scripture, and you begin to dive in on your own, you kind of know how to start. You start big and you begin to narrow your focus and you get more specific and more specific. So that's where we are. Starting this week, we're starting to jump in and look at some, some particulars, if you will. All right, And we're just going to spend a little time each week for who knows how long, meditating on individual principles, nuggets, uh, theologies, doctrines, uh, words, phrases that are in this book that we can learn from. And in your private life, that's the point of meditation. All right. And so as a group, we're going to meditate on a on a specific phrase today. And we're going to ask some questions in our heart and we're just going to discuss it a little bit. That's an example of how you might go through your scriptures. OK, you tracking with me? Good. All right. Philippians chapter one. There's a phrase in verse seven that uh, it's a striking phrase, a striking statement that I haven't been able to get out of my heart and my mind since we first looked at chapter 1. And uh, here's what Paul says. He says to the believers, it's only right for me, it's only right, it only makes sense for me to, the passage, many of your translations say, uh, feel this way about you, but the literal translation would be, it's only right for me to think in my head It only makes sense for me to think this way about you because, he says, and here's the next phrase that is stuck in my heart and mind for several weeks now. It's only right for me to feel this way about you because I have you in my heart. That's it. I have you in my heart. This morning, I'd like us to consider together what it is that may have so endeared these people to the Apostle Paul that would cause him to say something so specific and so compassionate as this, that I have you in my heart. Look back with me at the first paragraph, if you will. Paul starts the letter like many of his other letters. Verse 1, he says who it's from, Paul and Timothy. Paul writes it, Timothy's with me, we're sending you this correspondence, that's who it's from. And then he says that we're bond servants of Jesus Christ. There's usually some sort of uh, some sort of character characterization of his role, his responsibility, his duty to Christ. It usually is a teaching point, by the way, that he says we're bond servants. That kind of carries through everything he wants to say to us in the book. After that, he says who the book is to or 
That was who it's from. Now who it's to. Did I mix that up? Sorry. Now who it's from uh, to. I'm getting all confused here. Start over here. That's who it's from. This is who it's to. Who was it to? It was to all the saints. To all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi specifically. Now, let me just say this. These are all still common things for Paul. That's usually how he starts from us to you. And even calling them saints is no strange thing for Paul. I can really only think of one book, the book of Galatians, that in nowhere in the book does he call that any of those people in the church saints. And there's some reasons for that. We get who it's from. We get who it's to. The fact that he calls them saints, that he's being uh, being gracious to them there. That's uh, that's a compliment, but it's not uncommon for Paul. Verse three or verse two. He says some other things that are still common for Paul. Grace to you and peace from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He says that in many of his letters. That's nothing new. Verse 3, he ramps it up a bit here. But this too is not all uncommon of Paul. He says much the same thing to the Romans and to the Thessalonians. Verse 3, I thank my God in all remembrance of you. And again, that's a very... That's a very uh, complimentary statement, but it's not it's not unique to the Philippians. But he's not stopping there. And here's where it gets unique to the Philippians. Here's where you start to see Paul's uh, immense heart for these people, his great love for these people. They've endeared themselves to him. He's endeared themselves to them. You're going to see him go beyond where he normally goes here. Verse four. Now he begins to embellish his greeting. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all. View of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. And he goes on and on and on. This is unique to the Philippians. He doesn't say this about anyone else. He goes a step further than he goes in his in his being complimentary than he has ever gone before to any other people. Why is this? Why does he get down to verse 7 and say, I have you in my very heart. Um, you need to know that uh, this isn't always the case. And Paul was a master at being gracious. Paul was a master at using tact. And uh, I thought uh, that it's probably worth doing a message specifically and only on the fact of Paul's uh, graciousness and his use of tact, even when confronting sin, not just in this letter, but in many of his letters. He's a master at being gracious, using tact, even when confronting sin. But here's what you have to understand. Paul pulls no punches ever. Okay? He had no problem with confrontation. He had no problem with being direct. If confrontation was needed, he, he wasn't shy. In the book of Galatians, as mentioned earlier, he concluded his opening remarks by all but calling the believers there um, deserters. That they had, for some reason, left their faith. Now, here, here's the point. It ha- if Paul has something hard to say to an individual or to a group of people, he has no problem saying that. Conversely here, he goes on and on about his love for these people. And he says things he doesn't say about anybody else. I have you in my heart. So again, what is it? These are the kind of questions that you need to be asking yourselves as you start to narrow your focus. Okay. 
what is it about these people? What is it that so endeared this people to Paul? How do you how do you as a people, as an individual, find your way into the heart of the Apostle Paul? Right. You got You got to be thinking that you got to be asking yourself that question, because, listen, we know Paul sold out for the glory of Christ. Right. I mean, that's his that's his sole purpose is the glory and exaltation of Christ. That's why he stays on earth. He'd much rather go on and be with Christ. We've already seen that. For that kind of guy to say, I have you in my heart. I mean, that's something, right? That's something. You got to hope that you'd be included in that kind of statement. Amen. You got to hope somewhere inside your spirit that a guy like Paul could say that about you. So as I'm reading this myself, okay, as I'm reading just this first paragraph myself, before we get into any real deep theology, before we get to the kenosis of Christ in chapter 2, before we get to, you know, what does it mean to really be a bonser, and before we get to any of that, it just, it just stuck out to me, this question in my mind. What is it about these people, Paul, that you would have them, that you would have them in your heart? And more than that, then what can I learn from these people? There's got to be something we can learn. That they've found their way into the heart of the Apostle Paul. Um, I'd want to be there if I lived in Paul's day. Uh, you got to want to be there for the glory of Christ. To be in the heart of one who is all about the glory of Christ. What is it about these people, these Philippians, that we can learn from? That's not strange to Scripture. Hebrews 13 says, Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way and imitate their faith. And let me say right here up front, not necessarily their deeds, their activity. I think he's very specific, the writer of Hebrews, to say imitate their faith. He, he, he's not just saying we need, to, we need to fake it and do whatever they do. If they've been doing this, we need to just do this, and that will make us just like them, and therefore we'll, we'll, we'll be in the heart of Paul just like they were. It's more than that. We have to imitate something deeper. We can't just be a people of facades. We can't just be a people of activity with no depth. All right. But there were three things, and we looked at these in the first, in the first glance at chapter 1. There were three things, and there's probably more, but three things I think he says here, specifically in chapter 1, that caused these people to be endeared to him. So briefly, let's look at them. In verse 5, he says, I, I, I pray this way about you, verse 4. I pray about you all the time. But here's why, verse 5. It's because of your participation in the gospel. Literally, the word is koinonia. It's, it's their active fellowship in the kingdom work of spreading the gospel. And that's, that's the job Paul took upon himself. And he says, you guys are active participants why were these people so deep in the heart of Paul? Well, one reason has got to be this. They were on his team. They were, they were in the game. They were actively participating. They weren't just onlookers. Okay? They weren't just onlookers. They weren't just bystanders or cheerleaders. They were participating. Number two, they weren't just participants. At the end of verse 5, he says they were consistent participants all right in view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now here's what that means uh they were the first church paul started 
on his missionary journeys. He went out, started in Philippi, met some ladies. They got saved. Church started. They threw him in jail, threw him under the jail, beat him, kicked him out of town. He went on to Thessalonica, and it went on from there. Okay? From the first day, Paul says, until now, as he writes this, and he's in jail now, uh, some time has passed, they have, they have been consistent. Uh, they've, never, they've never disappeared on Paul. Right? They've never left a gap in their relationship with Paul. They've never flaked out. They've never gone missing. They've never been missing in action, we might say. They weren't fair-weather Christians or flashes in the pan, we might say. That one day we kind of look around and say, Where, where's old, what's his name? They didn't help Paul at the beginning and then kind of fizzle out. Apostle Paul knows something about these people is that is that from the beginning to the end, they've remained faithful. Number three, they didn't just participate and participate consistently. Uh, Let me point something out to you in 7b. At the end of verse 7, he's going to say something that I missed a few times, but I think it's worth noting. He's basically going to say that they were with him. They were with him. What does it mean for someone to be with you? Uh, for any of you who have gone through suffering and pain and hardship, to have people that are truly with you is a, is a blessing. Verse 7, for it's only right for me to feel this way about you. What way specifically? Refers back to the last verse, that he's confident that God is working in them, that he started a work and he's completing a work. He's confident of their salvation. He says, it's only right for me to feel confident that you are in Christ and that Christ is in you because... Look what he says. I have you in my heart since both in my imprisonment in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. You all are partakers. It's the same word he used in verse five. Participation partakers of grace with me. And so Paul just says he looks at his life as he looks at his own life. He, he thinks about these Philippians and he has many other people he's come into contact now. But as he as he speaks to these Philippians, he's able to say that through through all the hardships, through all the hardships that I've been through. You know what? You guys have been with me. You guys have been with me. How, how did they find their way into the, the heart of the Apostle Paul? Uh, they, were, they were active. They weren't just onlookers. They were consistent. They weren't just fair weather or flashes in the pan. And they were, they were with him. Near, when he was in jail in Philippi, they stood with him. And far, wherever he went, they were sending resources, they were sending money, they were sending men, they were sending their prayers. Near and far, they, they were just with Paul. There's something to be said about that. Um, I, I don't know if you guys know this, but I, I brag about you. I brag about you, our church, collectively, often. Um, Every now and then I find myself around other pastors. And um, as we talk about church, as we talk about ministry, and we talk about our, our people, uh, what's going on in our churches, uh, over and over I've just realized I find myself, um, not for my own sake or, or not for any false reasons, I just find myself bragging about this church. Collectively, but because of the individuals and what you're doing as individuals. I brag that we have an above-average number of members here serving in various ways without anybody, without anybody pushing you. 
That's huge. That doesn't just happen. It doesn't often happen. At as high of a level as I see it happening here. I brag that we have an above average number of members giving. Giving consistently. I brag that we have an above average number of members doing real evangelism. It's not where it needs to be. But it is certainly above average. And when I hear about these stories of you sharing your faith with a coworker or people being saved uh, because of your conversations with them, because of your modeling Christ before them, uh, it, it, brings, it brings joy to my heart, right? And I can honestly say I, I have you for those reasons in my heart. And it comes out when I'm around other pastors. There are, however, those in churches everywhere this morning, okay? We all know this. There are those in churches everywhere this morning who are, for whatever reason, um, for lack of a better term, part-timers. Their service is at best at their random convenience. Their giving is little more and sometimes less than the cost of a Sunday matinee, just to be honest. And their efforts in making known the name of God are frankly non-existent. To the first group, uh, I say again, well, well done. And that is the overwhelming majority of our church. I brag about that. I brag about you. I'm blessed to be here in service with you for that very reason. I have you in my heart. I, I thank my God on every remembrance of you. Sometimes when I'm sitting at home, when I'm praying, when I'm driving in my car and I'm worshiping, I think about some of you. I think about many of you and I think about some of the things going on in your hearts and your lives, in your jobs, in your in your families, in the lives of your children and the lives of your extended family. I think about some of the things that I've seen you do, the way I've seen you care for each other, etc. And it, it honestly brings joy to my spirit. I, I just thank God as I as I recall you, as you come into my mind. I I honestly can thank God for, for the vast majority of you. So to you I, I say, Well done. Keep it up. To the latter group, I say, I say simply, let me, let me tell you a little bit, a little bit about Jesus. And that may not be what you're expecting me to say to the latter group. So let me explain this. You're thinking, Jesus, why not, why not a pep talk? Why not a, uh, why not a challenge to our resolve or to muster our self-discipline or ambition? Why not a, hey guys, let's pick up the pace. Why not, uh, hey, look at the Philippians who had been so endeared to the Apostle Paul. Look at the things they were doing. Let's start doing more of that. Why aren't we going to have that pep talk this morning? We're not going to have that this morning. Um, Let me explain. Part of my job, as I understand it, and I'm getting uh, a greater glimpse into what God thinks my job is every day. Uh, I had some of my own assumptions, but he's clearing that all up. But part of my job is... To somehow help you move forward, right? It's somehow to help you move forward. Move forward in your relationship to God. Move forward in your relationship to the body of Christ. Move forward in your relationship to the lost. Frankly, I'm learning that I have less and less actually to do with that actual progress than I originally thought and hoped. But here's where I end up. I feel like today we have a couple options with with examining these people. With examining these who have found their way into the heart of Paul. I could... 
using these that Paul has championed. I could using these who Paul has elevated call you to discipline yourselves in being more like the Philippians. Okay, we could do that. Or number two, I could simply ask it another question. We could, we could take this a step further. And this is the route we're going to go. You'll quickly figure that out. A question one step beyond our original question. Our original question was what? What was it exactly that so endeared these people to the Apostle Paul? What made him so compassionate towards them? What made him so in love with these people? And Paul gave us the answer. It was, it was partially their participation, their active participation, their consistency in their participation. Uh, we know that that was the first church. That, that's got to have something to do with it. We know that they were, they were partnered with him from, from near to far. They didn't leave him. But the logical question beyond our original is, why would they do such things? Okay? Follow me here. Why would they do these things? Why was Paul so dear to them? Why did they adopt him as their own and stand by his side through thick and thin? Why did they send him men, supplies, money, prayers without hesitation or seemingly without end? Here's the here's the key thought or question. What was in them? The believers at Philippi, what was in them that showed up outside them that became a blessing to the Apostle Paul? Let me say that again. What was in them that showed up outside of them and became such a blessing to the Apostle Paul? Do you know what it is? Do you know what it is? It, it's pretty complex, so let me, let, me try and, let me try and break it down for you, okay? It was Jesus. That's it. What was in them that showed up outside of them and became such a blessing to the Apostle Paul? What was in them was Christ. And an affection for Jesus. All right. So why will there be no pep talk this morning? Why will there be no call to be more like the church at Philippi? Why will there be no admonition to serve more, give more, and go more? We could do that, right? We could do that. Why? Because if I ever hope to see you moving forward on your own accord and on a consistent basis, here's what I know. I've got to give you more than a a jolt from the old cow prod. Of the pulpit. Okay? Now, that works for a moment, but it wears off after a while, and you can settle back into your, your own way. Um, now, let me say right here uh, I'll reserve the right to use that cow prod every now and then, um, especially among believers. Especially among believers. Um, I'm not willing to say there's no place for that in the church. In fact, I'm convinced there is. But that's not going to be this morning. So what do we say? What do we say to those who who would not be among? Because this is who we're talking to now. Those who would not be among those Paul had in his heart. Why weren't they in his heart? Probably because there was no fruit of their faith. Making evident their consistent participation and involvement in Paul's ministry. What do we say? What do we say to that group? What do we say to that group that doesn't make it into the heart of Paul? Uh, to you, I say, simply, have another look at Christ. Have another look at the eternal plan unfolded by a loving Father God. Have another look 
at the one who, although he existed in the form of God, thought it not robbery, or, in other words, regarded not his equality with God a thing to be grasped or held on to, but instead, what did he do? He emptied himself and he took the form of a bondservant, being found in the likeness of men, being found in the appearance of men. He humbled himself. He humbled himself to a point of what? Death, even death on what? An embarrassment, shaming cross. For the very reason also that God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at that name of Jesus every knee would bow and every tongue would confess that Jesus Christ is what? He's Lord to the glory of God the Father. I say have another look at, at, at that Christ, at that Jesus, at that loving Father. Because I, I, here's the deal, and I so want this, I don't know that you see him. And here's the hard part. I say have another look because the folks that we're speaking to are not people who've never seen nor heard of this Jesus. They're people who know why Christmas is. They're people who know why Easter is, at least in their minds. They know why Jesus came. They know why he died. They've heard the story several times. They may sit Sunday after Sunday, hear passages, amen them, sing the words of the songs rich in theology, and so they know the stuff. I've got to say, have another look. Because it's not that you've never seen, but I just don't know that you see. The Philippians loved Paul because they loved Christ. You get that? The Philippians loved Paul and they showed it because they first loved Christ. Put another way, their love for Christ was displayed in their activity towards Paul and the gospel ministry. Their love for Christ was displayed. What was in them came outside of them. It was displayed in their activity towards Paul and Paul's gospel ministry. So how do we end up with more men and more women that Paul might include in his heart? Well, we don't call them to activity. We don't call you to pray more, uh, read your Bible more. We don't call you to do more stuff. We don't call you to be better participants. Uh, we don't call you to, uh, to be more involved. We don't call you to give more. We don't call you to, to evangelize more. Why? Because uh, that cattle prod will last for a moment. But what will last... And what will be uh, real to the degree that men like the Apostle Paul would say, you know what, it's only right for me to feel the way I feel about you and to have you in my heart. What do we do? We got to say, we got to say, hey, take a look, take another look, perhaps at Christ. We first point them to Jesus. Um, I had a coach in high school. Uh, He wasn't our head coach. He uh, he wasn't our head coach. He was a defensive coach, but he was the coach that inspired us the most. He gave the best pep talks we ever had. Our head coach, he was kind of the, the organiza- organization guy. He, he wasn't the pep talk guy. Uh, he, get, he had the last word, but there was one coach that we all just kind of knew. If we were going to get a pep talk, we wanted it to be from Coach McCall. Big dude. Usually pretty quiet, but when he blew up, he blew up. That kind of guy, Okay. And so when he had anything to say, you listened because he didn't really say a whole lot. And everybody kind of just had this silent fear of him. But he, he, was, he was the guy who inspired us. At the, end of, at the end of each week of practice, on the last day, 
of practice before the games, he would be the guy who gave us the end-of-day speech. And what would happen is all the other coaches and all the other adults who may have been watching practice, etc., were ordered off of the practice field. So it was Coach McCall and a bunch of snot-nosed 16, 17-year-old kids. And frankly, this, was, uh, this became the most, uh, the most looked forward to 15 minutes of all week of practice. It wasn't the, the speech from our head coach right before the game, even. It was, it was this 15 minutes where Coach McCall was going to say something. And everyone else had to leave. And these young men sat wide-eyed. What is Coach going to say this week? For 15 minutes, the world outside that huddle of young men stopped. I remember several of Coach McCall's speeches because they usually had something to do with a dream he had the night before. Uh, and he somehow related that to uh, that upcoming game in the locker room, we would joke because he had, of course, made these stories up. I mean, they couldn't actually have happened that he saw the scoreboard and what our score was and what their score was. It, it couldn't actually have happened. And so in the locker room, we always joked that he just made that up. And I think when we all left, we all kind of deep down felt they were absolutely true. We were convinced. We were convinced. Perhaps the most memorable talk wasn't, in fact, a pep talk. It wasn't a pep talk. This particular day, we didn't jump up after his 15 minutes, bash helmets together, scream like animals, and sprint fully, you know, 400 yards back to the locker room ready to tackle a Mack truck. It wasn't that kind of talk. Most of the talks were like that. This wasn't it. That day, we each left the field wide-eyed, heavy-hearted, with one big question in our throat. You've got to understand, it was the beginning of my senior season, and uh, the First few weeks of practice, what we called the hell weeks of practice, they had just ended. So we were going into our first game, but all the hard stuff was over. The, the practices, the season was sort of downhill from here. They worked us really hard. They put us through hell as best they could replicate it. And, uh, and now we knew it was kind of that, that breaking moment. Okay, And this was, this was the speech before that, that first game. Coach's words that day were, uh, were, were few. He calmly, which was unusual for him, he calmly and almost compassionately, uh, it was strange for Coach McCall, almost like his heart had been broken, okay? Uh, He said these words. He said, we have among us, gentlemen, some imitators. Four to be exact. And we all... That he knew the exact number, you know, out of these 60 guys. Four to be exact. He said, they've been wearing maroon and gold. Those were our school colors. They've been wearing maroon and gold just like the rest of us this whole time. But they're just pretenders. I'm not going to tell you who they are, but long before the end of the season, they're going to be gone. And he didn't say they're going to be gone in the sense that We're going to weed them out. He didn't say they're going to be gone in the sense that we were going to find them out and get rid of them. He said they're going to be gone with a compassionate and seemingly uh, torn heart. That they're not going to make it with us. They're going to be gone. That was it. He went to the locker room and we all sat there in silence thinking to ourselves, is he talking about me? Even, I mean, even the starters, I was a starting quarterback, right? And here I am, I'm thinking I'm a, I'm a faker. <laughs> and I'm going back in my head and practices. Was I, was I skipping? Was I 
It's like cutting it short, you know, and, and each of us, I know that's what's going on in each of our each of our heads. Well, by the end of the season, by the end of the season, four men were gone. Exactly. They weren't really yellow jackets. And eventually it came to light in their absence, unfortunately. All right. There are those who, um, and all illustrations, understand, all illustrations break down at some point. Uh, At some point, this is a bad illustration. Let me just confess that. Um, But I feel like I have a little bit of the same heart that Coach did that day. There are, there are those who sit in churches Sunday after Sunday that sadly have no, have no true relationship with Christ. They have, no, they have no love for Jesus. In a sense, they come and they go through the motions. They imitate Christianity, and yet Christ is not in them. And if you ask them the questions, they know the answers. Their, don't miss this, their general inactivity hints at their true spiritual condition. Their general inactivity hints at their true spiritual condition. The testimony of Scripture sadly is that by the end, we'll all see the truth. Sadly, we'll all see the truth. Um, We've seen this happen. You've seen this happen, if not in this church, in churches you've previously been a part of. That there's someone who who is there and they're apparently involved and active and and you see them Sunday after Sunday and then all of a sudden... Uh, you look around and, you, and you, you elbow your wife and you say, where is old, what's their name? And I, and I can't even remember their name. But I haven't seen them now. Now that I think about it, I haven't seen them for, for six weeks, six months. This happens. The overwhelming majority of you, let me say this again, the overwhelming majority of you who call Cornerstone home uh, give our leadership every reason to be confident that God has begun a work in you and he is in the process of fulfilling and completing that work, right? It seems only right for us to feel this way by what we see happening in your hearts and your lives. It just comes out. It just comes out. At the end of 2 Corinthians, Paul said this to a people who had some sin involved, but more than that, they had some apathy and they had some uh, inactivity and some indifference in their church. And uh, one of the final things he said to them in 2 Corinthians 13 is this. You've heard it before. 2 Corinthians 13.5. Anybody know it? Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. It's as if Paul came to the end of the letter and he just, his heart was tweaked and he says, <laughs> make sure, make sure you, you have Jesus in you. Make sure that you have a love for Christ, that you're not just doing this thing and that you're not just here. Because what he knew was they wouldn't always be there. That at some point he'd look around and they'd be gone. If they weren't connected to Jesus, if they weren't tied in their relationship, in their affections to Christ, that one day they wouldn't be there. Jesus said it this way, If you love me, then you will love each other. And it will be the evidence to the world that he is who he says he is. If you love me, you'll love each other. It'll it'll show up in your activity. So in the end, in the best, the best way to increase serving, the best way to increase giving, the best way to increase real evangelism, etc., 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 is to help folks fall in love with Christ, to help folks fall in love with Jesus. Okay, so um, 
Here's where this here's where this illustration breaks down. We all sat there as, you know, 16, 17 year olds looking around thinking, number one, am I the faker? Number two, where is he? Let's run him out of here. And we as seniors, we kind of took it upon ourselves to find who these guys were. Let me just say that's where this story breaks down. That's where the illustration breaks down. That is not the heart of this church. It's not the heart of this message. The heart of this message is. Hey, we don't want you to go. We want just we want you to know the Jesus that we've been singing about. We want you to know that he is worthy of more than just just coming. He's worthy than more than just singing songs with our lips. He's worthy of more and and not more than that, but just as important to you at least is this and this is what we long for that you that you get more from your relationship with Christ in a real relationship than what you're getting in in the pretend relationship. Jesus and his peace and his grace and his mercy and his long suffering, what he's done, what he's been through, what he continues to do for us, uh, continues to amaze those who who know him and love him. And you're missing that. And so the heart of this message is we don't want you to miss that. Our leaders want to have each of you in our hearts. We want to be confident. We want to be able to say it's only right that we feel that God has started this work in you and he's going to finish it. Praise the Lord. I'm thanking him every time I think about you. That should be our heart for each one. We want it to be. We want it to be. So that at the end of our time together, at the end of this season of life, when it draws to an end, I don't, I don't want to find that any have gone missing in action. Your love for Jesus is not effective or effectual. If it's not what's in you is not coming out, then you've got to ask, is it, is it in? And this morning I beg you just to take an inventory. Have another look at Jesus. Have another look at Jesus. Have another look at the one who humbled himself to death, even death on a cross. The one who God elevated and gave a name above all other names. Have another look at him. Um, sometimes I, I wonder for these folks, if you really take time to think, to ponder and meditate about the things you know in your head about Jesus, a loving God, a loving Father, I wonder if you if you really ever take a moment, stare at the floor, stare at the wall and are allowing your your heart and your mind to be amazed at what Jesus has done. I wonder there's a song by um, Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir. I guess it's more of a chorus. Uh, I love to sing sing it every now and then when I just try and meditate on Jesus. Put that out, Rusty. It's pretty short. It says, think about his love. Think about his goodness. Think about his grace that's brought us through. For as high as the heavens above, so great is the measure of our Father's love. Great is the measure of our Father's love. Can we ponder on that for just a moment? Why don't you stand with us? I'm not going to sing it by myself. We're going to let Brooklyn Tabernacle help us out. Why don't you sing it with us, all right? Go ahead and kick that on there, Rusty. These are the words. These are the only words. We're going to do it three times here. And while we do it, would you meditate on Jesus? 
Would you meditate on Jesus? Believers, don't leave any doubt. Hey, don't leave any doubt. Don't leave any doubt of your affection for the Christ. One of the hardest things for pastors to do is to uh, get a call and say, hey, we need you to do this funeral for this guy. And you sit down with the family and you say, hey, tell me about them. Tell me about their, their relationship with Christ. Tell me about their love for Jesus. Tell, tell me about them. Give me something I can say from here to give the family, to give uh, those in attendance an assurance that this, this person is with Jesus right now. And one of the hardest things is, is, is when all you get is, yeah, well, they, uh, they were a member of that old church down there. What's the name of that church, honey? Oh, yeah, they're a member of that church down there. I think, that, I think he was a deacon, too. And that's really all they have to say. They don't have anything to say. They don't have any evidence of their great love and affection for Jesus. Listen, don't leave any doubt. If there is any doubt, if there is any doubt, if we couldn't march on your, on your burial day, if we couldn't march some people up here who could give testimony to your great love for the Father, examine yourself. Examine yourself. See if you're in the faith. We want you. We want you to know that Jesus has an affection for you. What He's done, He's done out of His great love for you. What Paul did, he did out of his great love because of Christ's great love. What the Philippians did, they did out of love for Paul. But not only that, they did out of love for Christ who first loved them. Do you see that? Do you get that? Don't leave any doubt. Today, if... if you find yourself in the category the unfortunate category that, that you don't know beyond a shadow of a doubt that if you stood before God today that you would be in Christ that Christ would be in you hey don't leave today without talking to one of our staff grabbing one of our elders find somebody find somebody that can help you to understand what Jesus has done for you we want you to see it we want you to see it so deeply that it that it comes from the inside and it becomes to be evidence on the outside. Does that make sense? Yeah. Let's pray. We'll be dismissed.